Hello, I'm Dave and welcome to the Getting Better Acquainted 200 season. Five episodes where the tables are turned and instead of me having conversations with guests, guest hosts interview me. The shows will be coming out daily from the 16th to the 20th of March and they're there to celebrate over 200 episodes of my In Conversation podcast, Getting Better Acquainted. As part of that celebration, I'm going to be shouting about previous episodes on the show's Twitter feed, at GBA Podcast. If you want to join in the celebrations, if you'd like to share your favourite episodes and your thoughts about the show, I'd really love that. The hashtag that I'm going to be using is GBA200. So join me with the celebrations over on Twitter. This is GBA 200 part one with Helen Zoltzman. Helen makes two amazing podcasts that you should check out. Answer Me This and The Illusionist. And you can follow her on Twitter at Helen Zoltzman or check out her website, HelenZoltzman.com. The theme tune cover that begins today's show was recorded by Martin Zoltz Ostwick. By Helen's request, this episode has been edited by me in the way that I would normally edit an episode of Getting Better Acquainted. So it's much longer than anything Helen would normally do, but she did have control over the recording time, and so for once, the length of the show is not on me. That said, I love a long-form podcast, that's why I make one. I hope you enjoy a long-form podcast too, because here is one that we made especially for you. I mean, really, this show is like one big complicated therapy process where I don't know if I'm going to end up better or worse at the end of it. <laughs> We're recording now. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me know Over if I you. let me know if I do the introduction wrongly because uh, it's an important occasion. I don't want to screw it up. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Get better. Better acquainted with you. Today, I, Helen Zaltzman, am getting better acquainted with Dave Pickering. So, Dave, how do you know Dave Pickering? How do I know Dave Pickering? Uh, how do I know myself? Wow. Yeah. When did you first meet? Well, I guess I first, I don't know, my, my earliest memories are under three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some memories of, of the place I lived at Kings Lynn where I was born in Norfolk I've got a few memories of that but I don't know how much of those are constructed through family mm. but I guess that's where I first met me my, my earliest kind of knowledge of myself self-awareness is my dad used to look after me and he would take me to the park every day I think but maybe not as regularly as that but I remember that there was a kind of castle-like place it probably wasn't a castle because uh, I'm seeing it through under two year old, yeah two year old's eyes, and it was always locked. And then Ooh. one day it was open, and we went in. So that's the that's the memory I have of that of like oh this new thing that that, that isn't normally like this uh, is happening. That's but, quite an exciting early memory to have. Yeah, a no, mystery. It, it was. It was. It is a good memory. I always yeah I do like I do like remembering it. So I guess that's where I kind of became self aware, but. When did I know me? I mean, when do, when does me start? Well, I've known a few me's. They've been yeah. different. <laughs> when, when is there an age where you felt 
more like yourself. So I feel at 27, I was a lot more like myself than I had been before then. Yeah, I it think... It was the first great age for me. Right, I think around about that age is probably when I started to, to, to be the, the me I am now. Definitely around about my 30th birthday. I mean, about 27, 28 was when I started doing Getting Better Acquainted. And that, it's kind of... <laughs> when I started to know myself is probably when I started uh, doing this programme about getting to know other people. By holding a mirror up to them. Right, right. And, and yeah, I mean, a bit before that, I didn't like the person I was. On, in the first podcast I recorded with some friends, I didn't like the person I was on that podcast, um, particularly. And so I've enjoyed the person I can be on this, this show more. When I turned 30, I was really happy. Like, that's one of the few birthdays I've really liked uh, and celebrated. Because yeah. I'm not too, too fussed on birthdays. But, yeah, I, I like this... Like, being young is... I mean, I wrote a song about this. It's awful. Being young is horrible. And it's so such a relief to not, not, not be young anymore. So, yeah. I absolutely agree. I've, I've enjoyed my 30s a lot more than my 20s. And I think it's because I give fewer shits. Right. Or maybe I don't know whether it is the gaining of confidence or the or the falling away of petty fears that would seem detracting from the same level of confidence. Yeah, I mean it's a funny thing because because starting the process of getting better acquainted, I was like on a high for the first couple of years of like, wow, I really know myself. I'm really comfortable with myself as someone who'd not felt comfortable with myself. It was great. But then, you know, once you start to know yourself, then you start working on yourself and then mm. you sort of like move around the silt that is in, in your life. And then suddenly you... So 30 was great, but certainly in my, in my 30s so far, I've had like a lot of mental health sort of issues, I guess. Like, but I think I had them all my life. It's just like now I know myself. Yes. I know that they're anxiety and depression. Whereas in the past, um, I just, you know thought the world was shit or whatever rather than me (laughs) yay yeah I I don't know you know if I think you know I'm not saying I think I'm shit that's part of getting to know myself better is to to stop uh, hating myself and to stop hating the world and all those things but yeah no I'm I'm glad to not be young anymore and I definitely feel like I know myself better now but I but I but I misunderstood that as thinking it would mean my 30s would be plain sailing and so far they've been a bit more complicated than I was expecting I don't know <laughs> I don't know when plain sailing would start and no. also I think if I did find any point plain sailing it would be setting myself up for a worse time after that right well that's what I do I, I, I mean I'm, I'm a, I, I do that I go right everything's sorted now and then I'm surprised when it's not but also if you did have <laughs> it sorted would you not get a bit sick of it it's like people who have they have the same life in their 20s that they could have in their 50s or 60s and you think well what are you going to be doing for the next several decades like you can be middle aged when you're actually middle aged but maybe you should try something different now yeah I mean it's like if we neither you or I Dave have <laughs> uh, normal person jobs but around this time where I actually feel quite satisfied in my job I found a lot of friends with proper jobs that I was kind of looking up to going, well, they've got it sorted. They're like, I worked for 10 years to get to this point and it's shit. Right. Or they're bored of it because they've they've plateaued. Right. And I've certainly been bored in jobs. I mean, that's yeah. part of the reason that I've enjoyed my 
well not enjoy but why I know myself better now is is because yeah gradually I've been getting out of having a job like I had a lot of years of having full-time job and then I had a part-time job that and the part-time job I had also was when I enjoyed so yeah. that's when I started feeling like I was me I think yeah. when I had more time to be me yes. and was doing stuff that was quite me like at work as well where I wasn't having to pretend to be somebody else yeah and of course you were doing things that were self-motivated right because podcasting now um I suppose I should ask you what do you do yeah because the formalities are important right so I'm a freelancer at the moment whatever that means my, <laughs> that's a lifetime's work to find yeah, out my, my website calls and my business card say I'm a storyteller you've got business cards so yeah. that's pretty good well, that's I it. haven't that's got that's one of the first things I did when I went freelance I already had loads of business cards I've got got too many cards I, I made the website and the, the latest business card so I'd have one card but still right. I have a stand-up tragedy card and still I've got yeah. a getting better acquainted card and still I'm, I'm always finding the one I don't want in my back <laughs> in my handbag you, you, you've got too many strings to your bow though to fit on a standard size business card I think right I mean that was why I decided to call myself a storyteller yeah but I think that, that covers that a lot it does cover a lot but it also creates in people's minds this idea that I'm like the Pied Piper yeah, or something right the Pied Piper it's exactly what people think I am and I mean, most of the storytelling I do at the moment, as since I've gone freelance, has has not been anywhere near children. Right? I used to have a day job where I work with the under fives, but I've not done any uh, stuff with the under fives since going freelance. Most of the stuff I've done has been making podcasts or making theatre or editing stuff for other people. Yeah, because you and I are acquainted because we're both podcasters. Right. And I was curious to know what's got you started as a podcaster because I feel like if podcasting didn't exist you would have found other creative outlets for the person that you are but what drew you to this particular one no it's a funny one that because yeah you're right I I've always had this kind of multiple like like trying in lots of different artistic genres and formats um thing going on like I've you know growing up I was you know, I wrote poetry, I wrote plays, I acted, I was in bands, I sang in choirs. Uh, I did a lot of, like, creative... I wrote, like, I wrote a, a graphic novel script. I, you know, I wrote prose, I wrote uh, stuff like that. Podcasting happened because my friend Matt Hill, who we both know... Adorable Matt Hill. Who's never been on the show. He hasn't. He, he does hasn't. not want to he, get better acquainted with no, him. No, he doesn't want to do it. But I think he likes the fact that he's now become a mythical figure. So many people, I'm like, <laughs> how do you know me? And they're like, oh, through Matt Hill. And I'm like, yeah, Matt Hill's not been on the show. And yet none of us have ever really met him. That's right. not true, we've met Matt Hill. Right. So he's, he said to me... It's like the Wizard of Oz. At university, I set up a theatre company and I set up a radio comedy show that I, well, some friends set it up and I became a part of it. Um, and then when university finished, all those things finished as well. Like partly the theatre company, we wanted to go in different directions, which actually meant that instead of the three of us who were left uh, going in separate directions, it went that uh, Richard and Matt Hill uh, went and had a different theatre company all of their own. Yeah, there was nothing personal about it, but it was... Sure. It was That's going, why Matt Hill doesn't want to come on this what? show. He's worried that this is all going to come yeah, out yeah. finally. Well, he knows I know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> that theatre company split up and I stayed living in Lancaster where I went to university where there is no art scene at all. It's a small place. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is some art scene. That's unfair to, to Lancaster, but there's no... Like, there isn't what there is in London. There isn't what there is even in Cardiff. So... I was basically working a job in Preston, commuting to Preston, and 
writing novels because that was the creative outlet that I could do. But it's very frustrating writing novels because no, there's no audience. Mm. Gonna, you're never going to get any feedback from it. And it seems to take ages. It does take ages. I've not tried it the first one, because of that. The first one, I, I started writing in the first year of university and I think I finished it like three years after university, so five or six years it took. Second one, six months. Um, but, but, yeah, so I decided, we decided to, to come to London to seek our fame and fortune. Which, Nailed it. Which, yeah, I mean, in which my... I mean, my partner Jen was a bit reluctant to do that, to just move and have no safety net, not, not know what we were doing. Well, it is irrational. Right. But then not everything that is irrational is the wrong thing to do. No, exactly. And so then we moved to London. We didn't have any safety net apart from the difference. We, we were thinking about Edinburgh, other places that are arts centres. I think Edinburgh would have been better in some ways. It's a lovely place to live. But why we came to London was because my sister had a house here and... Uh, meant that we could come and be lodgers or whatever with her until we got our shit together mm. and found a place to live. That's kind of why I moved to London as well. Right. I wasn't going to move to London, but then I met up with a friend for dinner and she said there's a room in my house for £50 a week, which um, even in 2002, that was very cheap and cheaper than where I'd been looking in Oxford where I'd planned to stay. So I just moved to London. Right. It was quite. It's, maybe it's good not to have to overthink... Right. Sometimes. No, definitely. And then, so we moved to London, and that's coincidentally, or not coincidentally, was where a lot of the people I went to university had also come, uh, because everybody that I went to university with, who I was close friends with, wanted to be in the arts in some ways, mm. generally speaking. Not, not saying, I'm sure that there are friends of mine who don't want to be in the arts who might be offended by that statement. It's um, <laughs> a very but, offensive but, but, statement. But, so, yeah, so I came here to see my fame and fortune, why, in fact ended up doing was working in the libraries again because I'd worked in the libraries up north that was the only thing I was really qualified for so that was the job I got to pay the bills and I wanted to get a job as quick as possible because living with my sister was a really great thing I'm really grateful to her for doing it but she didn't it wasn't rent free we had to do chores to pay the rent so I wanted to get a job as quick as possible so that I didn't work like so I wasn't knackered all the time Um, and also that takes the emotions out of the interchange yeah. If you're if you're not supplying services for services. Yeah. Exactly. There's no complicated dynamic. I'm paying money. That that's I'm out of that. Yeah. It's a it's a normal transaction. So yeah. So that's what. So I was working in the libraries and I started a band. I hadn't had a band when I was in uni. I sort of took a tight time out from my musical interest. Although I did I did you know some music stuff here and there. Uh, I and I started a band. And that was great, and it was a big band, and it was great experience. It wasn't a big band, though, right? Not like a big brass band. It was no. I mean, there was. I think at our height, there was fifteen of us. Wow. So there was a big band. Yeah, it was a big band. But we weren't like a. Well, we we had a trumpet, uh, trumpet player, flute player, bagpipe player. Like it was big, you know, and a lot of electric guitars too, you know. To drown out the bagpipes. Right, and that's kind of where I was putting my creative efforts, and then Matt Hill said. I'm setting up a podcast station. I want someone to write a drama for it. Um, and also I want a comedy on it. So do you want to do our comedy thing again and write a drama for me? Uh, so I said yes, because that's what I do, I say yes. Which is uh, how you get things done. Yeah. If you say no, nothing happens. Was this Channel 4 Radio? No, this was Rethink Daily, oh. uh, which is now, if you want to find Matt Hill, look for Rethink 
rethinkdaily.co.uk. You'll never and take you, him alive. That's where that's his that's his site. But Rethink Daily was it was designed so that every day there would be a different podcast come out. It would be this central hub of this yeah. sort of channel, and it was a really well designed site. It's kind of ahead of its time. It was it was too ahead of its time? Because when was this? Well. 2007, eight, or something? No, I mean, earlier than that. So, yeah, it was probably around, what, yeah, 2005 or something like that. Because now, now that would be, that's probably the kind of thing that people are thinking about setting up now and that someone might pay for now. But then you would have had to explain to everybody what it even was. Yeah, so he was massively ahead of his time. And I didn't know what a podcast was. Uh, I didn't particularly care what a podcast was all I knew is someone was asking me to write something and it was going to get an audience uh, potentially which is not what most of my writing had done up to that point so I said yes we we talked through pitches for it I came up with the idea of someone who works in a call centre who is phoning up uh, people from their past to try and work out who they are it was quite an existential oh. it was kind of like quantum leap quantum leap was one of the big reference points we have like every episode you're going to leap into a different person's life and a different experience and it'll have that kind of uh, the main character was called Sam Kirkgaard uh, <laughs> which obviously is a, a pun on Sam, Sam Beckett um, and so I did the first series of that and the first series was just that but I'd always had it in my mind that, that the call centre was heaven and uh, well, purgatory, that, mm. that when people... So my, my idea was, when you die, you go to a call centre and, 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 the, and the devil's making you phone people. And, like, because of the fact that... I just had this idea that you can't get used to the fact that you're dead. So because they, so you need a familiar construct. Yeah. So the familiar construct you get given is working in the call centre, because we can all imagine us, our lives getting to the point where we end up working in the call centre. So and it has a kind of that, eternal feeling. Right. Although there was some implication that in different cultures it might be a different, a different place that you'd end up in. So for the second series, like, you know, I, I finally outed my, my big conceit to Matt and he was like, yes, let's go for it. So the second series, it was she realises she's dead and then she has to try and work out. Like, they work out that they, they've got this ability to ring people who are alive so they can ring people from so an episode of it I wrote and I know this is a very long answer <laughs> um, but an episode of it that I wrote was about her ringing her mum and her mum being like traumatised by her dead daughter ringing her yeah then, that does sound then, upsetting them having this kind of moment of connection and stuff and Matt entered that episode into the Sony Radio Awards the and, late lamented... Right, that got accepted. So that was when we were up against each other. So yeah, we were up neither against... of us won, though. No, 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 so no we're... none of us won, won that's true. Um, and, and through the process of that, though, I'd started being aware of other podcasts. For example, Answer Me This. There's nothing like being up against someone in an awards ceremony to realise that someone exists. Um, <laughs> so then I started realising that podcasts were a thing that were wider than just this kind of project my mate was talking to me about. Yeah, but then it does take... I, it took me a while to realise that as well, because it's just a bunch of people completely separately doing things. I think particularly in Britain, there are a few networks, but they're quite little. But generally, it's just solitary people podcasting away. And so when you actually meet each other, it feels like there's a bond just because you've been through all this stuff yourselves with no support. And uh, finally, there's someone else who understands. Right. Like I said, I started listening to podcasts around about that time, I guess, 
because the Sony Radio Awards was weird for me because I was I was Such already a witch. well I was already working in children's centres singing songs and stories. So like we're in the middle of uh, what was it the Grosvenor Hotel? Yeah. Everything's really expensive. Frank Skinner's there, like. It's just such a big auto fellatio yeah, thing. Yeah, like, oh, it's so weird to think about that night. Yeah. One of the things I thought was weird about that night was seeing Kate Ad and Rolf Harris talking to each other. Now, that's even weirder. Yes, go on, of course. But yeah, I mean, I, don't, I digress, which is what I do. But the, the next day I, w- I was in, in a children's centre singing, singing songs to children. You know, it was such a contrast in, yeah. in terms of the, these two lives. And... But by that time, yeah, I was I was listening to podcasts because I was commuting, and I started listening to Richard Herring's stuff. Like I didn't like everything that he did, but I liked the fact that he was trying stuff yes. out, yeah. and that, that it was da- that it was different from the other media that I was consuming. It had a bit more risk. It had a bit more reality to it. I think he's one of the comedians who has really been experimental with the medium, right? And so I listened to all of his stuff, and then I then I started like listening to This American Life and Radio Lab and. Um, WTF and you know mm. once you get into podcasts you find more yes right? which and is then, great so then I became a real podcast head which is something I do like when I was in Lancaster still after I finished uni I had a year because I was working in the libraries I had like a year where I read every comic I could find like I read up the history of comics and I because I, I was always into comics but then I properly studied I guess for a year because I could I could get them all out order them I could get up to a hundred items out on a card <laughs> so I was yeah really burning through comics and I had a similar sort of period of podcasts where I really listened to like all of the back catalogue like I've heard all your early episodes oh, that you wish people How hadn't awful. heard um, <laughs> And all of like Richard Herring, I mean, listening to a lot of Richard Herring's podcasts really makes you in a weird place after a while. Um, but I, I did, and I listened to all the, the back stuff, and then I thought, right, I want to do this. I can see how I can do this. Before that, I thought I needed Matt, you know, to... Because, I mean, I wrote the, the drama, but he cast it, directed it, produced it, edited it, all of that stuff. I wasn't technically aware of any of that stuff. Um, so then I realised I could do it, and I thought, what should I make a podcast about? And I thought, well, I've got two old friends who I went to school with and one of the things I think works about podcasts is intimacy and personal relationships and closeness so what I and I, and I want to see those friends so what I'll do is I'll spend uh, four days in a room with those people and record it all and then wow. edit it later that was my big thing I wish I had of had the knowledge then that if you don't get good audio to begin with you can't really sort it out in the editing suite you know yeah, like having so much audio to plow through was was hard and the other thing that my big mistake was not really fully talking to my friends about what they wanted because it turned out like they had a lot of opinions about editing but they didn't want to do any work so uh, so that was a horrible position of being like having notes from friend these friends telling me what to do and me trying to get the weekly schedule because I knew that you have to have a weekly schedule to get anywhere or uh, a schedule that is constant a consistent yes. schedule so because much as one might like to romanticize creative endeavors the fact is i find anyway just the meat of them is lots of really boring practical decisions yeah. all the time right and then somehow out of that something quite spontaneous and interesting emerges right. ideally and some of the episodes of four days in the room which i have to say is, is a lie in its just name because we didn't even stay in the room the whole time we had a, a, a trip <laughs> out to blackpool a, like a road trip there was a lot of uh, elements to it but 
But there are a few of those episodes that are okay. And so those are available online, like not as a podcast, but as a playlist mm-hmm. that I'm keeping. Because I don't believe in pretending that I didn't make the mistakes. I kind of like, I don't mind having the mistakes there for people to see, but I didn't want the worst of the mistakes there. No, I but wanted it's, like a, a feel, a taste of it. I think it's nice to know that you have learned things and come a long way since your early things. And I think also listeners that like your present day stuff it's endearing for them too to hear what is not very good. Right. And that's the thing, the, the funny thing about it was as well is that when you hang out with people you were adolescent with, you become your adolescent selves. Yes. So that's what I mean when I say I didn't like who I was because mm. I was hearing my adolescent self. I was hearing all of my insecurities as, as an adolescent coming out in my interactions with my friends. And that was what gave me the inspiration to make getting better acquainted because I was like, I know I'm not like that all the time. So, and I know I have different conversations with different people. So in order to show the world I'm not that person, I, I should make a show where I have conversations with other people. And that's, that's where this came, you know, came about. Which I remember when, you, um, when you, you just sent an email one day and I thought that is a brilliant idea for a show, which I maintain. It's brilliant. But how does it make you feel having to spend so much time listening back to yourself? Yeah, it's been an interesting one. I, I, I go through phases like it depends on the episode so sometimes I love him if I'm listening if I'm sounding really intelligent and eloquent and I, I love hearing that <laughs> but when I'm when I'm messing things up I, I don't like that so much but I have got more comfortable with hearing my own voice like as a singer as well that's helpful to just get through that barrier because it's 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 really hard to hear your own voice back and I've mm. heard so much of my own voice back now that... It's just normal now, isn't it? I think when I talk in real life, I hear myself closer to what I actually sound like because of that. Like, you know, you, you hear a false voice when you're talking in theory, when you're talking in theory. Well, physically you have to, don't you? Because it's echoing around your head as well as in the air right. around you. But I think, yeah, having listened to myself so much, I think I'm more aware of how my words actually sound, which helps in, in other areas, in performance and all of these other things I do these days, yeah. Does it also change the way you write? When you're constructing something in the aftermath of recording, does that then change how you construct things before performance? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing because one of the things I've, I've also started doing around about the same time as I started get, doing Getting Better Acquainted is I started doing true storytelling on stage with Spark London. And that is the opposite of being a writer. That's getting up there and improvising, coming up with the the story, like you're not supposed to have notes. Yeah, sure, you prep it, and I've learned to prep better at that stuff. But it's it's freeform stuff. It's it's like a podcast. It's captured. The, what works is when people capture the moment. Like it doesn't work if you get up there and try and stick like to a script. Yes, you um, can tell when you're listening to shows yes. that have been made that way, where it's right. very rehearsed sounding. There's a there's a pan show tone. Yeah, everyone speaks a bit the same. So I think that stuff has affected how I write a little bit or influenced how I write. But I'm also. I find as I've moved into this autobiographical life that I'm living online, which is not something I expected to really be. I mean, I, I wrote, you know, I, I still write. I write fiction. I write plays. I write, like, I, I never thought I was interesting. I was the interesting thing. But I've kind of had to accept that that's my personal brand now, like a lump it. <laughs> but then it's, it's strange because then taking that, that, that stuff I'm learning about myself and trying to make, put that into fiction or put that into plays or whatever... I do find, like, I listen back to it, I transcribe it, and it doesn't work on the page. You know, so I still have... To, so it's, it doesn't work. What works mm. in performance doesn't work on, on, on a page. So you still have to... You know, it hasn't influenced me as much as I 
would have thought because actually when you try and be influenced by it completely it doesn't work so would you have any inclination to do a fictional podcast yeah no totally I've got a I've got a plan, maybe this Ooh. year I'll write it, who knows, Ooh. but I've got a plan for Robbing drama, hands. yeah, a three-part drama podcast, and I, I definitely have thought many times about doing fictional ones, I mean, like, like I said, I started with a fictional podcast, I'm not a woman uh, called Sam Pickard, but, <laughs> but I mean, that show was autobiographical, nevertheless, the, that's the irony, isn't it, like, uh, people making fiction are always putting their lives and the lives, the world they see around them into it. Well, even if you're like, writing about something completely made up, it's, it's through the prism of your own experience. Yeah. You can't escape yourself. Subjectivity yeah. is, is unavoidable. Yeah, and then it doesn't matter what you mean by it as well. The audience get what they want from it. And that's, yeah. the, sa- and that's the same for true storytelling as it is for fiction. You know, people come up to me after I've told a story and, you know, often they're like very you know they're lovely because they've it's touched the stories touched them they want to express that to me and they want to talk about their stories but often the things that have chimed with them are not things that I I relate relate yeah. to as much like it's like they've seen something in my story that's that's hit them but it's not really the same as my story it's just a way of them accessing their their memories and that's fine you know well that's part of art isn't it I think if you try to force a particular reaction out of people you're more likely to fail than if you just do what you need to do and they can respond they have the freedom to respond in the way that is truthful for them yeah but then with podcasting you rarely meet your audience face to face you do with live performance but how do you feel about your podcast audience what do what do you feel you get from them well i don't know that i i i do like when i have Occasionally, I'd like more fans to communicate with me. Send Dave some I mean, flowers occasionally, why don't you? What happens is I, I tend to end up getting them on the show and then becoming their friends. Um, <laughs> well, that's more than most people get from their podcast audience Yeah, friends. I mean, I've definitely got some friends and, and acquaintances through the, the audience part of the show. I mean, I, I don't know what I think of them. I don't know them. I don't know who they are. I wonder about them constantly. Mm. I wonder who they are. I know from my statistics that... I think 10 times as many, I think, uh, listeners are in America than, than, than wow. are in the UK. They love the, the British accent, even yeah. though British accent's not a thing, but they do love that. And also yeah. I think the kind of stuff you do where it is personal and confessional is a much bigger genre there than it is right. in Britain. A lot of people say to me I'm uh, very American and they mean it as an insult and I take it as a compliment because what they mean is I talk about my emotions and uh, yeah. you know you're not repressed right because I don't think I'm like other, other cliches about America I don't think I fit so much like optimism and believing anyone can make it these yeah, kind of things I don't really have no I, I never thought of that but then I wonder whether people who make those generalisations don't know any Americans. Right, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of American friends and I get... They're very I'm, diverse people. Right, exactly. It's a, well, it's a much bigger bloody country than the UK. It's, so of it's course like lots diverse. of different countries right. rammed together in the right, same right. landmass. Yeah, yeah. Although I've never... I mean, I've got a lot of American friends, but I've never been to America. I know you go to America quite often. It's a sickness. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big and diverse, it can kind of be whatever you need it to be. Yeah. which is one of the things I like about it. And there's so much space. Sometimes I want the interior landscape to be translated to an exterior landscape. And on our little island, there's not necessarily the room. Right, that's true. And we spent so little time in the country. I love the English countryside oh, and the, yes. British, the British countryside, in fact. Um, it's the best thing about the country, I think, in lots of ways. And, the, and it makes the weather make sense. Love the like, weather. Right. The, like the, so, I mean, I, 
yeah, I'd love to spend more time in the countryside, and then and then the interior landscape would uh, re- resemble this the out the exterior landscape. Yeah, but America, I've, I do want to go to America. Someone I, invite Dave to America. Yeah, for goodness' I, sake, he's popular a, there. You know, road road trip across America is like one of my my dreams. It's the best. Yeah, not not, not going to lie. I know, I know it's a few best. people who've done it, and they all say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what has changed for you over the course of these 200 episodes? Wow. What, in my life? Well, so you, for you to define. I mean, loads of things have, have changed for me. I guess the interesting thing is that they've all been addressed on the podcast to a, cer- to a certain extent. I mean, I've gone freelance. I've stopped having a day job. Uh, for better or worse how do you feel about that because I met up with you about a year ago so not that long before you were finishing your day job Mm -hmm. because I've been freelance for a long time and um, hopefully hopefully I didn't make it worse for you (laughs) with whatever I said at that meeting no it was really good really useful but (laughs) I felt like you would be alright because I think you're able to cope without structure more than a lot of people. Well, I've been really lucky in that people have come to me. Most of the jobs I've got, I've been offered. I haven't had to... to, 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 to that's the, the, the ridiculous thing. I, I haven't had to sort of like... Beg. Beg, yeah, yeah for work. So far, that, well, that's Tell coming. me your secrets. That's coming, don't worry. <laughs> well, I mean, I think part of the secret is working outside of a day job for five years in different ways of like, you know, by the time I... I went freelance, I had lots of connections within the arts world and the podcast world and all of these different things. So people, have, when I went freelance, were like, oh yeah, that guy, now he's got time, yeah. maybe he can do this thing that I need to be done and I don't want to do. Because you, know? you do do an extraordinary number of things, but how, how do you motivate yourself? Or do you just not have the time not to do the things? Uh, well... Because I'm naturally very lazy, and I know a lot of people who want to do creative stuff but don't but well, how would you how would you force that creative I, thing out of them i am contra- like no one believes this but it is really <laughs> true i am kind of naturally quite lazy too i no I, one believes me either but I, that's because I, right. I don't tell them about the time i waste right i mean i'm perfectly capable i, I like one of my favorite things is to have really really long baths like hours and hours and hours where i just read books you know like i i like the things I like to do, like reading, and I don't do that anymore because I have no time. Yes. Um, ah. So I guess the secret to being productive has been to just say yes to lots of things and set things up so I have no choice but to do stuff. But I have been dripped. To say I'm lazy is not quite right. I mean, I'm perfectly capable of switching off completely, but that's because when I'm not switched off, I'm completely on. So I am, I guess I'm driven. I've had to sort of like come to terms with the fact that despite not believing in the concept of work I am a workaholic well it's it's or an art artaholic I suppose the the work is it's a term that covers what someone who works in the city does or what someone who cleans streets do and and then what you do which it feels like a human necessity right I mean a lot of the jobs not every job but it feels a lot more like something that is of spiritual importance than many people's work situations will be where it's a financial right although to make anything that you want to have some kind of spiritual or artistic or whatever uh, significance to always inevitably involves loads of really boring work like the amount of boring edit like I don't find editing that that interesting I like the final product but the process is boring the admin stuff I hate and it sort of, I always kind of like, I'm a little bit 
resentful about that. Like, there's lots of artists who don't do the admin where somebody else looks after them. I can't wait around for someone to look after me, so I do the yes. admin. And then because I'm doing the admin, nobody takes it off my hands and everyone expects me to do their admin for them. And no, you cannot do other people's admin well, as well you, as you your own admin. Mean, yeah, no, I, I try to keep it to a minimum. But I mean, if you want to work with people and you want stuff to be done, mm. this is the thing, I want stuff to be done. I'm more interested in the product than yes. I am in the process. And I know loads of artists who are really great and brilliant who are interested in process and I'm not uninterested in process but for me it's all about the finished thing yes. and that that being responded to by the audience so that's what it's all about I, I think I agree with you there's a certain pleasure for me in the process of say when, when it's painting or, or making something by hand no. I enjoy the process there or writing but, I can like if I'm writing yeah. fiction I can enjoy the process of writing fiction yeah but in other things it's just a facilitator you know if you spent 20 years getting really good at a musical instrument but you never used that talent to play anything then what was the point of that unless you do just genuinely enjoy doing finger exercises right. and stuff well from the um, initial ideas stage I'm thinking of the product like sometimes this can people collaborators have found this frustrating in the past because I'm, I'm so quick to like go right let's let's do this let's do that and they, they don't want to commit to those things mm. yet they want to take their time work out what they feel about it where I'm like that idea is working let's move to the next thing yeah. let's move to the next thing let's go 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 and sometimes that that, is, that that isn't to some people's liking which is fine or they want to spend <laughs> so much time procrastinating about it that the end product will never arrive right right so I mean yeah I've gone freelance that's one of the things that's happened to me since doing these these 200 episodes but I mean there's been lots of changes in my life I mean I've uh, had a vasectomy congratulations um, yeah I've opened up my relationship which I don't know you may or may not know about that I've, I've, I've noticed you discussing polyamory and, right. and stuff like that but I don't know it's odd I don't feel like I could ask you directly about it but I would be interested to know about it yeah I mean it's not something I personally like yeah I mean for years before I I opened my relationship I was already talking about those subjects because I was politically interested in them or socially interested and personally interested in them but I mean yeah this last year I did a story for Risk about going to a sex club which yeah that's something that's happened to me since I since these 200 episodes only went twice though do you go with Jen no that story I'm really proud of actually it's one of the true stories that I've told that I'm really proud of the way it turned out because it's not really about going to a sex club it's about feeling ugly and being bullied and then having a moment of, of not feeling ugly and not feeling I thought bullied. this is going to be a sexy fun story right well it is <laughs> and all this heartache no no it is sexy fun as okay, well um, Phew. there is that I mean that's why I like it it kind of goes everywhere and it's kind of very like it doesn't glamorise it that story so I like yeah. I like that about it but no I don't go regularly to, to a sex club in fact the second time didn't like I I thought the first time, quit while you're ahead, and I was right. <laughs> so I, I proved that by the second time. House always wins. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a weird it's a weird situation where you know there's a lot more men go to sex clubs than women, so you're 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 not a, a, a sought after commodity. Mm. So it's a complicated one. But like, so that stuff's happened, and you know, before and so in preparation to that, me and Jen did a conversation about the fact that we'd opened up our relationship and stuff like that as well because I wanted her to have 
the right to reply. Like I wanted it yeah. to not just be me being out there, being public about it. I wanted people to hear her side of it. And people judge you in weird ways when you open up relationships as well, yeah. especially if you're a man. They think that you're like some kind of predator. Well, you want to have your cake and eat it. Yeah, keep and the like, little woman at home yeah, and, and the stick your dick like into being everything. being abused in some way just by the, like, you're, you're rubbing her nose in it or whatever. Like, or, or you have uh, forced her to be like, yeah, I'm into this too. Right, and it was her idea. Well, it makes um, it's a very it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. My relationship is not open, but I can understand no. how it would work for many relationships right I mean actually, it's funny actually just the other day on Answer Me This you said something about or unless they got an open relationship which would be absolutely fine and that actually made me feel like really happy I was like wow that's good like, that means that Helen won't be judging my, my, my relationship no. choices I'd, I'd rather people were in happy relationships that are configured in different ways than they were in miserable ones or ones that just seemed like it was crushing some part of them even if they didn't know it yeah but I, I don't think monogamy is a is a necessary facet of a relationship, but you do both have to agree right. on monogamy. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Monogamy. Like that's the thing, and that's what you were talking about. Like it's okay if it's an open relationship, but it's not okay if you're lying. And that's yeah. that's that's I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think there's lots of different tactics. I, I certainly it's like with having a vasectomy. I, I don't have a problem with people having children, and I don't have a problem with people having monogamous relationships, and I don't have a problem with marriage, and I don't have a problem with all of these things that people assume that you have a problem yeah, with. For them, it's it. just for them. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of, on a personal level, that's happened. I've moved house a few times. And I've started, I guess, stand-up tragedy happened, doing live events, um, running live events and performing a lot more. All of that's happened in these 200 episodes. And on the show, I've, I've been back to places I've, I used to live and, and done sort of specials there. So there's been a lot of, like... I mean, really, this show is like one big complicated therapy process where I don't know if I'm going to end up better or worse at the end of it. <laughs> Maybe that's not what therapy's about, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what it is now is that all of these things in my life are intertwined. Like, mm. and, and getting better acquainted makes that the case. So stand-up tragedy, all, a lot of the people who are on that come on this show. So they're all, it's all, and you know, and vice versa. You, you've done stand-up tragedy. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a very... My life is, I guess that's what has happened. Before the, this show, I think I had much more separation mm. of different parts of my life. And now it's, it's all so immersed that it's worrying now. Now I'm out there as, as telling this, you know, stories about sex clubs and talking about mental health. And yeah, that's another thing that's happened. I've come to terms and come to an understanding about my mental health. But all of those things, like now that's, that's, they're, they're all linked. So it makes me feel a bit weird. Like when I was writing my newsletter this year, I was like, should I tag in Forty Hall and Enfield Council with this newsletter that also links to a sex club story? Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, like, how's that going to affect? Like, is it, is it, is society going to be okay with me having a foot in all of those camps? Now I'm open. Now, now everyone knows about the camps in one place. Like, is that going to be okay? We'll maybe, see. Maybe by being an openly multifaceted person you're paving the way for other people to be multifaceted oh I hope so you're a pioneer that sounds, that sounds like a really good way of spinning it yeah, <laughs> I'll go with that well, one of the many things I admire about you Dave is your ability to soul search and divulge that in the public forum I'm not very good at it in private and I think I'd really struggle to do it in public um, also, I might just find that there's no soul search at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's something you say a lot. And I, I, I very much don't believe that you have no. I mean, well, I keep it in a vault. We all don't have a soul, probably. But at the same <laughs> time, I, I think you, you know, you have as, as important and as rich inner life as anyone else. You know? it's, it's just a, it's, it's just set up differently. 
I was thinking about things that you've done in this show that, that seem so incredibly honest and, and I was really struck by one of the episodes where you were talking to your dad about how he lost his virginity right. and I was just thinking I don't think I could even use the word virginity in a conversation with my dad yeah. let alone find out really anything about him Right, I mean that's but that's some of that's just from the realities of who I am and my upbringing I guess yeah. like we've always like me and my dad have always talked about everything and so in order to get better acquainted with my dad, I really have to get in deep. And I already, I already knew, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I already knew, I mean, we didn't even go into the, the full reality of his virginity stories. Oh, wow. Um, but I mean, I, I already knew some of that stuff. I mean, what was good about that episode for me was that I, I hadn't told him about my virginity, so I was, like, swapping, and I lost my virginity in his bed, so it's a weird thing to really? tell him, yeah. Really? Not while he was there? No, so no, that he wasn't helps. there. He was away. And Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers, he wrote a memoir in which he was talking about um, he lost his virginity to his dad's girlfriend with his dad looking on. Well, well I mean, that's... I don't know what I think about that. The, the, bit much. The dad looking on bit's a bit problematic for yeah. me. Or like his dad was like, like hey, why don't you do this? Uh, you know, it was with his dad's organisation. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I mean, there's, there's some cultures where that sort of thing is kind of like the norm. There's one tribe somewhere where that I've always thought sounds like a really good idea where the, the, the young guy marries the young girl. Very and, heteronormative. Well, the, the, and then they have to have sex with the girl's mother. She, tra- she trains him up to be a good lover, then oh. she gives him to her daughter, right? What I if think... she doesn't have a mother who steps in? Well, I guess there's always these problems. It's tricky, isn't I'm sure it? they've got some... I mean, I don't know who... I don't even know the name of the tribe, let alone if they're <laughs> real. Like, it could just be an urban myth. Yeah. But, but, I mean, the, the, the thing of it is, like, I think that there is something to that. There is something to this idea of... of like, because I don't feel like I knew anything. Like, like, I guess that's something that I've been, like, discovering about myself. I don't know... If, anything about sex uh, there's, there's, there's nothing never had it me right right wow um, we're recording in uh, the Soho theatre and um, I don't know why there's the sound of like a freight train <laughs> in the middle of town very surprising sorry you were saying you don't know anything about sex well I know I know saw stuff. a picture once right and I mean like looking just because I'm doing this show this year as well about like masculinity and looking at my past and sort of interrogating my behaviour towards <laughs> women growing up and stuff and, and again, it's like I was brought up by a feminist like family. I was, I had all the book, like I read books about sex and how to do it, and some of them were better than others. Um, but I still <laughs> didn't really know anything uh, when I came to to do it. And then, like having been in a monogamous relationship for eleven years before I opened up the relationship, it was like now I've got to like learn. Like now I'm basically back at being a teenager. Yeah, right? it's like you're going I'm, on right. I'm Blind going on dates. dates. Yeah, I am going on dates occasionally, and it's weird. And I, I don't know what. Like, I, I have to work out how to be comfortable in myself in a new. I only just got used to being uncomfortably comfortable on stage. Now I've got yeah. to be uncomfortably comfortable on dates. Like, it's, 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 it's a, it's a strange. That's one. why a lot of us in, are in long-term relationships. We don't have to deal with <laughs> right. presenting ourselves as an inviting prospect to new people. Right. Is the open relationship thing? Is it more sexual, or, or would there ever be a point where? more people would be in a love relationship with you and or Jen? Not a love, but friendship, maybe. I mean, what I think it is, or maybe love, but love's a complicated word. Yeah. I mean, A non-binding arrangement. Right. I mean, it's an open relationship rather than a poly situation. Right. So, I mean, it is, we are, 
committed to each other emotionally, practically, like, you know, Jen's my best friend and hopefully I'm her best friend. Uh, she's less inclined to make these ridiculously big <laughs> statements, but I'm sure she, Not her she show feels though. it. And so, yeah, I mean, like in, in those terms, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine having someone as important to me as Jen within my life. But de- definitely, it's not like just sex. It's not like, you know, cold clinical. I mean, it can be. Uh, that's perfectly possible. And if you're it's into occasionally cold happened. Clinical, yeah. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not into cold and clinical, no. So that's the problem, really. And anyway, mm-hmm. even if I was into cold and clinical, the thing that you discover when you open up your relationship is, you know, what you want and what, you, what, what, you, what, what happens are very different. So, like, yeah, sure, if there were loads of women interested in having no strings casual sex with me then hey maybe I might have lots of that but that's not that's not the case that's not the that's not the appeal I hold for people where I have appeal which I find just saying the word appeal makes me feel weird <laughs> like a uh, commodity well just like yeah I mean like I say like what I don't feel like I'm attractive I like I think lots of people don't it's kind of for other people to decide yeah in, exactly yeah. but then when they do decide then you that's a positive it tells you that to someone you are attractive yeah. but then you have to think about the responsibilities that come with that and that's complicated yes. because I'm used to being the rejected party rather than the person who might be the rejecter so it's a strange thing because at least when you're rejected you know that you probably haven't done anything wrong right. or caused hurt how how do you feel about the idea of, of gen being with other people yeah, I'm surprised that I'm more comfortable with it than I thought I was going to be. I'm quite... I, I'm, I have... I, it would be wrong to say I don't experience jealousy. I have experienced jealousy. But what I've experienced about jealousy is that you sort of, like, you feel it. And then, you know, the world's still there. Like you have this still moment, there. Right. You have this moment of, like, you feel like the world's going to end. And then it hasn't. And for me, that's been a really liberating thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for her being with people, but I'm hopeful that the people that she'll be with will be nice people and will treat her nicely. So I like it when I know she's having a good time. I, don't, I wouldn't like her to not be having a good time. So that's, that's basically how I feel about it. If I, can, I can see me trying to set her up with people. I can see that. <laughs> I can also see her saying, fuck off, don't do that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and you've been together for what about 14 coming up for 14 years congrats. on the 14th of February oh. it'll be 14 years congratulations and it seems to be that that is one of the most stable and consistent things that has been in your life yeah um, in a positive way yeah I mean I've not been stable but she like we, yeah. we have as a, yeah, as, a as a partnership has been stable and yeah. in fact I think if one is staying the same in a relationship emotionally that can be a problem anyway well, stability is not being well that's been an interesting thing as well like it's so lucky right because you don't know you're going to turn out to be the same kind of people when yes. you hook up at a university I mean you'll have a similar yeah. thing with, with you and Martin like you don't know that you're going to consistently be friends consistently no. grow together at the, yes at the same rate I mean there's a bit of work involved I'm sh- like I'm sure that you guys do the same thing where you like have, I think we've consciously made sure that we were growing together or made made time for each other at mm. certain points certain points we haven't some points we have you know it's like sometimes you trust the relationship to be elastic enough to stand you being a bit neglectful right and then other times you're like right one of the weird things is opening up a relationship has meant we've spent a lot more time together me and jen and i look like because because you 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 know you want to make sure that everything's fine you 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 can't trust the elasticity as much and also we, we 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 didn't think we could become more honest with each other but we could because there was all of this like not admitting who we fancied stuff yeah. that suddenly we could and that did mean that we was we got closer together like my my favorite thing was uh 
when we sort of like opened up the relationship, Jen, like we did this thing where like Jen guessed what porn search terms I use, <laughs> uh, like, and she mostly got them spot on, which wow. shows she, she knows me well, yeah. <laughs> Non-exploitative, <laughs> female empowering. Right. Um, yeah, the only, the only things she didn't quite guess were just because of the fact that she's not that familiar with pornography. <laughs> so she didn't understand some of the problems with it that you have to circumvent with your search terms. Innocence yeah. is her own worst <laughs> Um But I, uh, I wonder as well whether just the fact of deciding to open up your relationship means that you're going to be concentrating more on it than otherwise you might where it's just running along yeah. in the background as it always has. Like, I found that when Martin and I got engaged, nine and a... 40, no, eight and a quarter years after getting together it was the first time in ages that I focused on the relationship for a bit that to me was a moment of greater alteration than yeah. getting married but it's just because I was thinking about it but I do feel like happy long-term relationships are underrepresented as an interesting thing in culture because there's a lot of focus on the beginnings because there's a flush of excitement there's a lot of focus on problems and dramatic breakups and things but what about just there's a different kind of narrative a less dramatic one but still a valuable one right. where it's working even though you kind of know everything about each other that you're able to know yeah. and things aren't changing that much yeah no I, I agree with you and I, I think that's true although it's been a, the weird thing for, for us when we did open up our relationship it was exactly that that for a lot of people we were the stable relationship we like we felt like we were a bit of a symbol to a certain extent within our friendship groups of being the ones who lasted from university. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, it was odd to us then to like come out, which is a weird thing to, to have to do. But I mean, because I was doing this show, uh, I knew <laughs> I, was gonna, I, I was going to be out there. So I knew that's what, so we had to come out to people. And it was, you know, it was good because everybody, like nearly everybody had a really non-judgmental reaction which because I think most of your friends are not means we dicks, are choose they? good friends yeah what made you decide do you wish you'd done it earlier no I think 11 years was about right I feel like my advice to anybody is don't open up your relationship until you really know each other because I mean I, I don't know I mean I know people do I know people go straight into relationships mm. from a poly point of view and all of that stuff and all of the all their life choices are just as valid and, and good as mine but I can see how that might be easier as well you're automatically starting the relationship on tenets that the other person is comfortable with right and also I just feel like the first few years you probably don't just so practical level other, you don't yeah. need it right I have various boring questions about logistics but then the admin <laughs> part of an open relationship is uh, well Probably the least exciting. Point. Well, I think there would be more more admin involved if we were a poly thing. I mean, I hear yeah. I hear about shared Google Google oh. calendars, which which makes, <laughs> makes me very nervous. Really takes the thrill out of things. But I mean, th- well, that's a that's an interesting thing. I mean, sp- this idea of spontaneity is kind of false anyway. Yeah, like, it's like, like inspiration and right. genius and stuff. And actually, hard work and application is far more interesting. Yeah, thing. and I think you can plan things and they still be fun. Planning um, is fun. Admin right. is fun. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean the actual planning is boring, but the 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 end result is good, I and mean, that's like art, like anything. Like you, you do you do the work because you like the end result. I mean that said, I mean uh, being in an open relationship does not mean I'm being promiscuous. Uh, sadly, that would be too much. <laughs> too much admin. I wouldn't be against being promiscuous, but you take you take the cards you've got in your life. Listeners, you? this is your cue. <laughs> um, I, I one thing that I think is very noticeable in you is just you, you seem anxious not to tread too heavily on the world which means you're very sensitive and considerate towards 
not making things worse for other people, not damaging them, not not being entitled. Are you? Do you feel guilty about being a white, straight, cisgendered man? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's not your fault. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, well, I, I feel. I feel guilty about all of those things for and for loads of different reasons like some of them are valid like not exactly it's not exactly right to feel guilty about yourself but it is right to check your privilege to be aware of your privilege to think about that stuff I mean I, I think checking our own privilege is a healthier way to do it than checking other people's privilege for them I think yes. that's where the problems sometimes come because no one can really understand what somebody else's life is like and yes so that's a very valuable thing always to bear in mind that. yeah but I mean that said, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of judging people because they don't say it to their faces. Well, but, it's fun, isn't it? Right. But, 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 but then I think, like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel guilty about being a man because of complicated reasons to do with my childhood of being told that men were bad by my mum at some point. So I've got that. But, I mean, I, I'm, in a way, I'm glad I've got that because it's, it has put me in... I mean, I have been told by a, a friend of mine said to me, you know, you're too aware of your male privilege. And maybe that's why I'm not that promiscuous, because I'm mm. too aware of my male privilege. And girls <laughs> don't like that. Um, they want a great brute of a man. Maybe some a of them. Big old I mean, chauvinist. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. I mean, confidence is sexy and I haven't got straightforward confidence. A lot of it as well is just there are some people who ask a lot of women. And even if they re- get rejected 90% of the time, if they've asked 100 women to have sex with them that week, right. they get to have sex with 10 yeah, women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot I've of, known people like that. Yeah, and a lot of women like to be asked because it doesn't leave the ambiguity for them uh, about whether they're being found attractive or not. I don't know how to ask people. That's my thing. No, I think it's, I think it's something you either have or not. Like I, I used to have uh, a thing with a guy who was just very direct and I liked the fact that I knew that he was interested. Yeah. And it just really alleviates the burden of decision and he was very successful with women because he was honest in that way yeah yeah I know I'm always waiting for them to give me the signal that it's okay for me to I don't want to ask them because I don't want to impose on them or or, or embarrass yourself or something like yeah, that yeah some of it's definitely to do with embarrassing myself and some of it or is be to, sleazy yeah, yeah that's it I think a lot of it's to do with that I don't want to seem like I don't want to be a part of the problem and good for you but yeah but you're you're a problem to yourself but I don't think I don't think that is part of the problem I think that's one of the things I need to learn is that articulating our desires is not part of the problem it's ignoring people's like consent is important but articulating desire is fine yes reading signals just generally anyway I mean that can be as simple as being in a conversation with somebody who is clearly not responsive to other people that they are talking at you know but this is this is a bigger thing but I suppose one of the things that something like everyday sexism is illuminated is the fact that just some people do not think how this is coming across. And even if their intentions are fairly benign, right. they don't understand that whatever they intended is right. interpreted in a different that way. Whole, it's an imposition in a the way. The whole smile thing. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of like harassment which is clearly like motivated by complicated feelings towards women. Yeah. But the whole smile thing is... Is, is definitely this kind of sometimes it's this this misunderstanding about what it is well I mean I guess they're not seeing women as human but they're also not understanding that not everyone wants to smile no, no. smile if, if, if people talk, talk I mean people do tell me to smile sometimes is I a mean, smile valuable if you've had to ask for it right it doesn't mean it like 
just because you're smiling doesn't mean you're happy. Yes. I've spent a lot of time in my childhood with people smiling who were very unhappy. Yes. So, I mean, I, I'm, I, and, and uh, the same thing, if you're not smiling, you, you uh, can be very happy. Do, but then, <laughs> do you think that thought can follow deed? Sometimes I, when I am in a bad mood, I make an effort to be very polite and smiley to people that I'm interacting with when I just want to shout at them, even though it's not their fault that I'm in a bad mood. And it does tend to settle things down. Yeah, that can work for some people, but it has to be their choice. Yes. That's it. I mean, like, I feel like, yeah... But then I'm bad at expressing my emotions, and that's why I have to tamp them down. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean... I don't know. You, you always seem quite good at expressing your emotions when you're talking to me, but I don't know. It's all a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just uh, my emotions are there aren't that many. This is this is your, this is your party line, and I. I hear this is it. my therapy, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you thinking about when you're making your shows? Do you have a person or an ideal for which you're making them? Because I would not listen to the shows that I make. I'm not making them for myself. Interesting. So who am I making them for? Who are you making yours for? Who am I making them for? I make, I'm making them for me. I mean, I am making them for me. I, I definitely like conversation-based podcasts. I, I definitely like podcasts where you find out... Like, yeah, the stuff I'm making is partly for me. It's also for, you know, for, every, I mean, I, for everyone who likes that kind of thing. Like, I'm definitely thinking about the audience. I definitely want to give them a, a good experience. I want, like, I do a lot of editing on the conversations to try and make them sort of smoother and flow better. And I, I, but I, I don't know, I don't, when I'm, I don't sort of picture an audience as a unified thing. I just have a sense of them out there, like, like I don't know. Yeah, some kind of, like, force that's greater than me. Maybe yeah. I'm making them for God. Maybe. Maybe that's who I'm trying to talk to. I don't know, but I, I don't know. I, I definitely do try and make things that I would like, though. That's always my one of my main things that I'm looking to do. And I'm also trying to make things generally, like you know, more broadly than the podcasts that 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 do speak to a more diverse, non-white, non-cisgender, like uh, non-male audience. I mean. I often write women characters. I, I I've got plans to write people of colour characters. Although doing that as a white guy is is a complicated thing in itself. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm better to represent, or better to leave the representation to people who understand. That's the issue. I mean, you could say, should I write female characters or should I write about a talking mouse? But yeah, I mean, it's, the thing is, yeah, exactly, you can't just write your own experience because that. Right, there's got to be some other characters in the thing. But yeah, I mean, that is broadly speaking a a concern I think about. And I I do think about, you know, I guess a little bit like what you were talking about. I try and, like with stand-up tragedy, I try and put content notes at the beginning because it's always going to be pretty dark and depressing with stand-up tragedy. And I want to make stuff that people consent to. I want Mm. the audience to agree that this is a thing. You know, we've made an agreement. You're uh, the audience going to have this experience and you kind of know what it's going to be and there'll be some surprises, but you're prepared for them, you know? Um, That's one of the things I like about podcasts is it feels like the audience have a lot of agency. Mm. It's not like they've paid to go to a comedy night and therefore they are going to have to sit through whatever happens, even if they don't like it. They can try it and if they don't like it, they never have to listen to it again. Right. But it feels like... They can take it or leave it, but it's they are the commissioner, yeah. And I like that. 
Do you, do you think about or plan much for the future? I think I've always been... All of my plans are not realistic. I used to have much more long-term goals, like things I'd like to be planning like that. And I guess I kind of plan the near future. Like I'm, But no, I don't think I do, you know. I don't think I do anymore. I think I used to, but I don't think I plan for the future anymore. I do what I can in the present. And I plan, like I've got like podcast schedule for for getting better acquainted is going into the future but that's a evolving document on Mm. my phone that changes all the time and and so I I don't know from a practical point of view I don't want to have kids so planning for the future is a little bit less like of an issue you know I'm not going to have anybody that's going to have to I'm going to have to worry about in that kind of way but then so I like you I'm voluntarily unlikely to have children which means I have to then decide the narrative of the next few decades myself. It's not provided for me by another thing. Yeah. And I know that there's, there are so many other decisions that parents have to make about their own lives and the lives of the child, but you know, we, have a lot, we have a lot of time to fill with alternative things. Yeah. Do you ever think, what would I like to be doing or feeling about myself when I'm 40 or oh, 50 yeah, I, or 80? I think about the, what I'd like to do a lot. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I guess I do kind of plan in a way in that I was planning to eventually go freelance. I just ended up going freelance earlier than I was planning Mm. to. But the long-term plan was to get myself into a position where I could go freelance and make stuff. And then obviously I want to move from making freelance stuff that I I don't have much choice about what I make to being in charge of what I'm making completely. Like, I'd like to get to a point where the things like getting better acquainted, my own authored pieces are the things I make my money from. Not necessarily this show, because I feel like this might always be free. But I mean, at the moment, what I'd really like to do, if, if I could make this happen, if I could s- wave a magic wand, I'd like to make TV. I'd like to make TV series. I'd like to write and direct TV shows. And I, you know, I studied film studies at A-level, and I did t- TV drama as a module at uni, and I've always... T- television was always something I was interested in, but now it's so exciting. Mm. And I like... I'm, you know, me and Jen watch a lot of box sets together, and then like afterwards, we're just like, "How do we get into that?" Because yeah. it's like, I feel like both of us could write good TV, but it's like finding a, a foot in the door. You know, I, I didn't know that podcasting would be a foot in any door, so maybe I've I'll find a foot into that door somewhere along the line. Maybe saying it now will be the, what, that positive actualization or whatever that nonsense is. I mean, one, <laughs> well, one of the nice things about podcasting as well is you can. You can decide to do it without being invited and then just do it and put it out. Whereas TV, you have to get someone to be interested to make your show and a channel to put it on. Yeah, it's like the opposite of podcasting yeah. in a way. It's like the biggest budgets are in TV, the biggest amount of organisation. It's not DIY at all. No, there's so many hundreds of people involved, even in quite a yeah. small show. And someone was saying to me, is the difference between podcast and radio like Netflix and television I was like, no Netflix the delivery mechanism is different but the resources are the same it's Netflix shows are produced with the same amount of budget and skill and televisual intention as a, a normal terrestrial TV show how do you feel about entering a medium that has so many gatekeepers coming from this medium that has virtually none I'm not a big fan of gatekeepers didn't, and, didn't think you were and the funny thing about it is I kind of in some ways am one now Um, in that you know when I'm producing and 
curating stand-up tragedy. I'm deciding who I put on and who I don't put on. I'm deciding how I, rep- you know, I, I'm worrying about getting, as we were talking about before we started recording, like I'm worried about getting equal amounts of women and uh, getting a diversity of, 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 of races and, and uh, genders and sexualities and all that stuff. So I am a bit of a gatekeeper. But, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I love collaboration, but I don't like gatekeepers. Mm. So I'm quite happy to be the person at the top of the collaboration chain, but I don't know how happy I am being the person underneath. Certainly I've done stuff with, like, the BBC and stuff and experienced what it's like to have gatekeepers. And it's been annoying, but you know what? If someone tells you you can't do something uh, the way that you wanted to do it, then you have to come up with a solution. Yeah, which and is where a lot of creativity often happens. really, really good, yeah. yeah. How do you feel about hierarchies? Well, I'm against them, you know, politically. Yeah, but even in <laughs> even even in less political structures, I've I've been freelance a long time, and that's partly because when I was doing different jobs to try and start a career, I never worked in a hierarchy that I wanted to ascend. I was quite happy doing low down jobs where I had no responsibility right. for anyone below me, but I didn't look at the top and think that's what I would like to work towards. No, that's true. That it's it's a complicated thing for me because like politically, I don't like. Hi- hierarchies. I think that, that hierarchies, if they do happen, should be by consent and, again, by collective kind of decisions. I don't mind being the person in charge of an arts project. I wouldn't want to mm. be the person in charge of a, a, a business or an organisation yeah. or a po- political party. Yeah, I mean, that's my problem, really. What I want to do is go into making TV shows. I don't want to go into being a runner, you know? Yeah. And And... That's not just like that's not completely entitlement, although I recognise there might be a bit of that in there. It's also because I've I've done my grunt work, just not in the TV industry. Yes. I mean, I'm 33 now. I don't want to suddenly go back into being at the lev- level of I would have been at if I'd have gone at 19 and been gone straight into the you know because there's there's so many different lives I could have had and they might yeah. have, might have been might have been better or worse, but I'm where I'm at, you know. So what did you want to be when you were little? I. I don't know. I wanted to be... Well, when I was little, I don't think I really had a conception of, like, what... I wasn't someone who thought about what career I wanted. I was never... <laughs> so the one time you know, in your life and you're free of Everybody's it. like, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a spaceman or I wanted to be a police person or whatever. I, I didn't. I wanted to... I just wanted to, to, to make... To, to talk about ideas and worlds and make fantasy worlds and create That is things. your job. Yeah, so I guess I'm doing my job. How consistent? I yeah, I mean, and when I was a teenager, what I wanted to be was a rock star, a a, a hit playwright. Yeah, a rock a rock star stuff. playwright. You know, yeah. I wanted to be Arthur Miller and uh, like Ian Curtis or something like that, but without the death, obviously. Yeah, ideally. Like, but 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 like a credible rock star. Yeah, could still happen. Yeah, that it's that's not true. Anything. That's true. You've got I many mean, lives left to live. Yeah. because you know. I've when I was in my early twenties, it felt like people we'd been out of university two years, and people were like I haven't, I haven't got anywhere, so I'm going to have to become a lawyer instead, because at least that's stable. And I was like, and it took me years to realise we were only twenty four then. We had decades left to right. work. But now I'm thirty four, got decades left to work. Right. It's a continual process. It's not something I need to have sorted out already. Right. And if I have sorted it out now, what will hold my interest in another ten years, or twenty right. or thirty years? 
No, that's true. And that's the thing. I mean, the lucky thing for me is that I do lots of different kinds of arty stuff. Mm. So I don't get bored because I move on to a different genre. I mean, that's also hard to build a career on. But I mean, I'm doing all right, I guess. I yeah. can't complain as such. So, and I don't really want to be famous. Like fame, fame for me is not the thing. Like reaching an audience is the thing. And yeah. I want to reach the biggest audience I can, which means that fame might be a byproduct of my intentions, but it's not something that I am really into. Yeah, but the freedom to do whatever you want, that would seem to me to be my ideal career success right I don't like, like more I, than money or right, profile right 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 I just want yeah creative control and, yeah and, but also but the problem is that the, the more successful you get in certain areas the, more, the less anonymous you are in others so like, I, like, I just I, never leave the flat right. so it's fine I mean I want to be a rock star but I don't want to be recognised in the street when I'm feeling depressed or anxious <laughs> Slipknots slip have got it made right because right, they wear right. masks wear a mask yeah just, just get some kind of uh, stage look yeah what haven't you yet had time to learn that at some point in your life you would like to well I don't know I wish I was a better musician I always wish I was a better musician um, than I am but that's something you but can always already, be better at already, even, if you, even if you were ten times better than how good you are which yeah. you don't know you, you can always be better and it's already something I do are there different instruments that you haven't attempted yet? Well, I mean, I, I, I can only barely play the guitar and the ukulele <laughs> and a little bit of keyboard here when I, and there when I need it. So I've, it's probably a good idea for me not to, 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 to punch above my weight. I'm an all right songwriter, so that's, 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 that's enough for me. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that I, I... Like I say, I want to make television, but I mean, that's just an extension of writing scripts and writing generally, and, and, and I want to produce plays I'd like my plays to actually be produced where I'm not producing it like mm. actually booked for a theatre or whatever um, where I'm, someone else is doing the admin right 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 less admin less admin definitely I mean I'd like to make films but all of these things like they're in my wheelhouse already so it's yeah. hard to think of something and like I'd like to, I've, I've written graphic novel scripts but I've never had them illustrated so mm. I definitely would like that to happen or could you learn that to illustrate. No, yeah. I don't think so. I don't know. My brother's uh, not good at art, but I and I've had moments where I've made okay art here and there. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to you know, like everything that I can see me learning things in order to do things like that. But I, I I'm never going to be a good enough illustrator to to satisfy myself, or as I can be a good enough musician to satisfy mm. myself because there's kind of lo-fi music that I like. You can do a lot of powerful things with fairly simple tools right. in music. Yeah. And in podcasting. Yeah. You can make, you can make a, a bad or a good product with the same resources. Right. Or right, right. something very high concept or something quite simple yeah. with the same. I mean, I'd like to do more acting because I haven't done acting much in years. If I don't have music, if I'm not making music, I feel like there's something missing. If I'm not, if I'm not writing prose, I feel like there's, there's something missing. And if I'm not like doing something to do with theatre, I feel like there's something missing. So I always feel like there's something missing because I'm never yeah. doing all those things at the same time. But, but then there's, got, there's then, got to be something to spur you on. Right. If you, do you think content... And podcasting too, actually. There should be four the podcasting now. I didn't know yeah. about it, but now I know about it. I can't unknow it. Yeah, exactly. Do you think contentment would be the enemy to you creating stuff? If you didn't feel like you were not doing something, you, you felt that absence keenly... Why would you do anything? Why would one do anything? Yeah, I mean, having nothing to say 
So, I mean, I think that contentment, you can be contented in your life and still have things to say. Yes. So I think that I, I don't buy into the kind of... Unhappiness right, is the only artistic right, right, state. Right, right. No, that's horseshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm always careful not to say that. Because I also like when people talk about tortured artists, depressed artists or whatever, that they're, they're, they're making that art despite that. Yeah. Not because of it. Yeah, in I'm fact, making... a lot of their creative energies might be sapped away by right. addiction or depression. or. And maybe they've got some, some, some unusual perspectives because they've been to some less frequented places. But the, like you say, there's some other less frequented places. Like you were talking about like stable, happy relationships yeah. that don't get covered. There's loads of human experience that is not to do with the stuff that I experienced. So, I mean, it's in my best interest to, to, to big up the idea of the tortured artist because I have been that person. Yeah. But, I'm, but I'm much happier when I'm not that person. It gives you so much more time to get work done. Maybe it's a romantic idea for people because they associate, say, addiction or mental illness with... The removal of inhibitions. Yeah. Or maybe they think, well, if I did those things, then I could be an artist. Whereas what they need to do is get on with making stuff. Yeah. And the, the kind of grinding reality of actually producing creative work. Right. The perspiration part. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I can't see me getting to a point where I don't want to make stuff. I, I get frustrated with not being able to make things good enough and I'd like mm. to be in a position where I was making stuff that I was happy with maybe that'll never happen and maybe yeah. that's a good thing always got to be some grit right, in the oyster because you're always trying to do something better you're always etc but but I, I can't see a point where I'm not interested in the world I'm not interested in myself I'm not interested in the people around me like like so I, I can't see a point where I run out of ideas because like that that nonsense question that people ask like where do you get your ideas from me and the world around me those things are never going to go so yeah it's mistaking ideas as being like a little object in themselves whereas what you have is the capacity to perceive ideas and be receptive to ideas but everybody has that but you can train you can train yourself up to it i think i think as i've got older i've been more i've had a greater capacity for that well, I think part of it is feeling that you are able to do it as well. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the time, this idea of artists is a, a, a problematic idea in itself because it separates people from people. And it goes, these are artists and these are people. And actually, all of the artists are making art from non-artists. They're stealing bits of their lives. Yeah. All of these podcasts I'm making, they're not all with artists, but they're still art. Yeah, I think they're art. It's nice to make something where there was nothing, yeah. I think, whether it's art or entertainment right or, or craft yeah i mean like craft you do is, a lot of craft yeah right? and it's not art because it's it's decorative but not meaningful but it's still nice to have something that was not previously there but it might be meaningful to i mean art's in the eye of the whole yes like so if, if it has meaning to somebody then it's got meaning i do not have an artistic intention with it i suppose but ah. i have a decorative intention but does the artistic intention matter like well, a again, poem it, it, I, I'm, I'm glad that it's not up to me to be didactic about it. I like the fact that other people can decide right. for themselves if they want to. Yeah. Um, and uh, now I'm so dazzled by that that uh, I've forgotten the other thing I was going to ask you on uh, on the same uh, on a similar vein. It was probably going to be amazing. <laughs> we probably would have got a really uh, fundamental statement. And uh, well, I think the thing is, you, you know, well, I may remember. Um, I was reflecting though on the fact that as a creative medium, although podcasting has fairly low barriers to entry technologically it's not too hard to grasp financially you can make it with equipment like a phone 
Yeah. I still think that compared to something like painting or writing, there's still this technological barrier to, to vault over that may make it a bit more forbidding than other yeah. creative outlets. Yeah. I mean, the tech stuff is always the hardest s- stuff for some people to yeah, get my head around. I don't uh, like it. Right, me too. And it's, it's, always it's just been, to facilitate me. It's been like that with music too. Like, I'm not... I don't understand guitars that much. I, you know, I can I can just about tune one. I can just about find the right strings that I'm supposed to restring a guitar mm. with. I, you know, there's always been other people who were more interested in the tech stuff around me. And then, as I've wanted to make art my way, I've had to learn the tech stuff. But I to, to facilitate, yeah, but only barely. Like the idea that I've. I, I, the, the, I, I'm much more comfortable calling myself an artist than a technician. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, really. Well, again, that's intention, isn't it? For some people, recording something would be because they are a technician, and for you, it is to facilitate an yeah, artistic and the, process. I think, and I think there's an art in, te- in being a technician. Yeah. Like, the, 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 like, getting the right sound is just as important as, as making some content. Yeah, um, well, you are allowing the content to be the optimal version of itself I suppose yeah there's just different approaches to the way that people make stuff and I think that's great because it means you get all of these different kinds of, of things that are made but I think technical ability for, for me I mean I, I'm always very in awe of it I always wished I had it you know just automatically it. yeah that, that, that right and that I could think in those ways like but you, it's like you get it in music where you get some people who are mathematical in the way that they approach music and some people who are like wildly anti structure in the way that they uh, create music and they both produce really good music yeah like there is maths in music i that's not that's not what i can understand because i don't really understand maths that much i'm much more about the words but there's other people who aren't even about the words or the structure they're about something else you know it's it would be very unsatisfying i think if we were all the same yeah no well, which is what this this, this <laughs> podcast is about i guess so many unique snowflakes yeah 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 i mean snowflakes is a yeah we were like it's that idea is kind of much rubbished and yeah. much mocked, but but I mean it's you know it's it's a good one fundamentally. Even if it's scientifically different. not true, right? yeah, but yeah, right. the, the thing it means is uh... yeah, the idea behind it that we're all different and that's okay and that's good and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank goodness. I think maybe you told me a while ago that you had ideas about what you wanted your funeral to be like. Yeah. What do you want your funeral to be like? I have a set list, like a like it's basically going to be everybody sits around and has to listen to my music and uh, <laughs> reading choices. I mean, basically, I want to be buried in a cardboard box under a tree with a, a gravestone that says he tried. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I forget the full set list. People keep asking me about it it's, it's, and it's become something I get in, like I don't want to misrepresent my own funerals uh, playlist so I don't want to tell them the wrong answers. But no, I know you, that, don't, you don't have to divulge because there have got to be some surprises. Right, I mean Jen gets first annoyed about it because it's like it's a big ask to someone like when you're grieving I want you to go through find this document on my computer and stick to it and ignore the family but what I always say is actually I'm going to be dead so you give a fuck what, what well, you do. I'm just saying this now do what you like but I she I think plastic I think, bag for me in a river I don't care <laughs> not plastic doesn't biodegrade <laughs> um, but when you're in that state of grief maybe it will actually be quite useful for her to have your specific instructions because when you're grieving and in chaos 
making decisions can be just way too much. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're being helpful. I mean, I guess for, for me, it's the last chance I have of saying something to people. And like, so all of the songs that I've selected are like saying something about the way I see the world or things I think are valuable. And I also think that hopefully those songs and the readings and stuff will make, make people feel better like actually will bring some solace like I, it seems very egotistical the whole thing but I mean it is what it is I've, I've planned it so there we go no very <laughs> very thoughtful very thoughtful of you I think um, yeah I mean I think I've been very aware of death all my life because of my fact that my that my dad's been older and he had a heart attack when I was six and a quadruple heart bypass when I was 15 I mean now he's 91 doing pretty pretty he's good doing work really well so the idea of someone dying has always been been quite real to me so yeah uh i guess that's one of the reasons i've planned my funeral yeah <laughs> well that seems a a, a suitable point <laughs> to to end uh, anything to plug yeah so i was thinking about what to plug and I'm, i've got i've got to plug a different thing for every episode really because otherwise uh it's gonna be there'll know, be overlap yeah well there's there's, there's gonna be some overlap anyway i think i've talked about open relationship on two of them i think now Although I don't want to be defined by an open relationship. But anyways, what do I want to plug? Um, I, so I'd like to plug a few things, really. So I thought with, with this conversation with you, for slightly slightly calculated reasons, because probably there's going to be more people listening to this one than the other ones. Maybe they will have all uh, gone, less, gone off by this point. Right, that's true. And <laughs> put this at the beginning. That's true. Um, but I, I would like to plug uh, Stand Up Tragedy, my... my show night thing it's very good uh, find out about that at www.standuptragedy.co.uk it's about trying to make the audience laugh until they cry and cry until they laugh um, and think as well like you should have all the emotions and it ends with a sing-along a cathartic sing-along and it's it is dark I'm not going to lie the clues but, in the name but, but it is also really hope-filled in a weird way but also, I do a thing called Storylines that I've been doing in Deptford Lounge. It's once a month. It's like we make, or they make, I sort of watch and am amazed, a bit of theatre to perform in the library to the public uh, based on the headlines of the news that day. Wow. Um, and my job, what I'm doing, is doing the social media for it um, and kind of interacting with Twitter and stuff to get their opinions because we're also getting the opinions of the people in the library. And so it's like a kind of collective, created thing. But in order for me to do my job satisfyingly I need people to be on Twitter giving me suggestions and so if you follow at ampersand media uh, once a month you could help me make some theatre in a library in Deptford and the actors who do it are really good actually really funny and and, and talented and intuitive so it's a good piece of piece of theatre that gets made and uh, we sort of film it and share it with the internet too so uh, you get to see a bit of it of what you've done so yeah more people following at ampersand media would be really delightful for me I think that's all of the big pro oh yeah oh yeah and in Edinburgh this year stand-up tragedy is going to be there um, every day every day I'm going to be doing stand-up tragedy I'll also be doing some live getting better acquainted so you Ooh. can come and listen to me being in charge of the podcast rather than the guests on the podcast and um, I will also be doing my first solo show which is going to be called What About The Men uh, <laughs> Mansplaining Masculinity that's brilliant and it's going to be me talking about 
my relationship with being a man, basically settling scores with the patriarchy, but also admitting that I have been a part of it and uh, looking at how I have been a part of it. So, so exploring your own yeah. disquiet. I'm a bad person a and so do all other men, but let's be better. Um, but without the complete judgment of everyone. I don't think you're a bad person. Well, I don't think that's... Because you've decided to be a good one. Yeah, and anyway, that sentence I made then, that's, that's okay for a podcast, but I will not be saying that on stage. I don't no. want men to feel like shit about the fact that men I want them to feel shit about the fact that they're part of a patriarchal system and women are too so we should all feel shit about that okay. and change it and by the end of the month you'll you'll have dismantled the system <laughs> bit by bit by the end of the month I'll have pissed off loads of men and loads of feminists uh, great <laughs> sorry you can just change your twitter handle and be fine <laughs> yeah which oh my twitter handle is at goosefat101 what's, yeah, it, what's with the goosefat oh that's a weird one um, so me and Jen have pet names for each other, mm. Chicken and Goose, uh, yeah. and I'm Goose. And when I first started blogging, I mean, all those blogs are, are destroyed, quite rightly so. Damn it. But when I first started blogging, I had to come up with a name. And I just, for some reason, I thought Goose Fat, and then I thought 101 because of the whole like, beginner's, beginners thing. thing. Yeah. And that's, that's stuck. So kids, choose your handles better than I did, or you'll be Even stuck with it for 233. Well, you can change them at any point. I know, but this is something about me where I kind of like... You want to be reminded I'm of reminded the past day. reminded of my own mistakes. <laughs> Have um, you got a really terrible tattoo somewhere on you? Not yet. I do want to get a tattoo, but it won't be terrible because well, I've waited this long. It's too late to get a terrible one to remind you of right. your past mistakes. Well, I knew, I knew that I had to wait till I knew what it was because I didn't want to be branded. Like, there's some mistakes I don't want to make and a bad tattoo is one of them, yeah. <laughs> Maybe when you're old, you'll be like, I'll just get any old shit on well, I'm going to get a tattoo soon, but it will be a snufkin tattoo. Oh, it will be on my chest, probably. Yeah. Well, there I look, you go. I look forward to it. <laughs> We'd uh, better jog on because it's Yeah, we had better team. jog on. Got places to be. That's right. So we got to say goodbye to the audience. We have, and it, it's um, it's very heartrending to say goodbye. Yeah. But they'll be relieved to know that you'll be back again. I will be back again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. So that's what getting better acquainted might be like in an alternative reality. Please check out Helen's other podcasts. Check out the work she does. Get involved with the Getting Better Acquainted 200 celebrations by using the hashtag GBA200 and sharing your favourite shows of the over 200 episodes that have already been out. Telling your friends about it sharing it on Facebook, spreading the word generally, letting people know about it. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook and subscribe to it pretty much anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it and there'll be four more episodes of this season coming out over the next four days so tune in again tomorrow for a different alternative reality spread the word shout about it a little bit for me thank you so much for listening and remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted <laughs>